Hi, this is uh, Ross Payton again with uh, episode 12 of Roleplaying Public Radio. Everything old is new again. Uh, of course, with me is Tom. Yeah, you got my name right. Good job. Yeah, I've only... Three, three letters of pain, I know. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're going to be talking about how to basically spice up old and existing games uh, for players who are a bit jaded and have seen everything, been there, done that. Uh, yeah, who also know all the rules, all the stats. And- right, yeah, exactly. So, of course, we have a few bits of business to talk about first. Uh, we now have an official Gmail email address. Uh, so if you have any anecdotes, stories, comments, questions, feel free to send them to rpprpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to read them. Uh, uh, of course, up until now, you've had to use, send messages through MySpace or comment on site, which has been a little annoying. But we're finally up to date. We're also it's all about the what the fans want. Exactly. Yes. Um, and we've received literally two. No, we've re- comments. No, we've... about that saying that it'd be much easier if we had a Gmail account. Yeah, something like that. Um, sure. Anyways, uh, Tom, you, of course, had a very exciting event happen to you. Well, I mean, it actually it happened back on March 10th. I'm just, we're now, we got to the show now where I can actually mention it. I mentioned that on that Henry Rollins was coming to Springfield on, you know, I think it was the show before last. Right, right. And, uh, well, went to the show. It was th- three hours of awesomeitude. I made that word up. Okay. And, but afterwards, even more exciting was I actually got to meet him after the show. Right, doing his little meet, you know, meet and greet with the fans, and right. you know, we'll have his, a photo of that up. Yeah, on the I have a very ridiculous photo with me and my friend Aaron, and Henry. Aaron looks more ridiculous. Yeah, he does. But basically, the two of us and two of us with Henry Rollins and him suffering us quite, quite well. But it's one of those. I actually thought, like, if I ever meet this guy, I have so many things I want to say to him. And, right. And, and it was the stereotypical. I got to meet him, and I couldn't say a damn word. Wow. And, and, of course, Aaron, the guy you'll see in the photo, had the opposite reaction. He was talking 90 miles a minute to the point it was becoming gibberish. Uh, yeah, you have the curly hair, just so people know in the photograph. I'm the tall you... guy in black. Yeah. And Aaron is the not... You, the, the not Henry guy. And not, not Henry, Henry Rollins. Rollins. <laughs> you can easily tell who Henry Rollins is. He's the cool-looking guy. With yeah, this. he's the... Oh, well. Yeah. It, I was trying to be nice, Tom, but if you... Dude, he's... just don't beat around the bush. I am, I am, the, I am not cool. <laughs> All right, uh, but, um, and you, so you couldn't even tell him that you you ripped off one of his ideas for the podcast. No, I did. That didn't come up, but I did. I but we did finally manage to say a few words to him. And when my other friend who was with us was t- took our picture, and we don't know what to do. And he actually said to us, "Oh, come on, guys! Now is not the time to be shy." And just pulls us both in. <laughs> and the thing is, I had no idea that Henry Rollins was not that big a person. I tower over him. Well, you tower over most people. What are you? Six foot. About six four. Yeah, six four. Yeah, that's that's pretty good size, Tom. But you know, you pull this in, and I have this. I don't know what my look really. I don't know what my look says. What did it say to you? Um, deer caught in the headlights. Yeah, that's 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 about exactly right, actually. And okay. Aaron has this really dork grin on his face. <laughs> I would call it a shit-eating grin. And, and uh, his head's resting slightly. And he really needs to shave. Yeah, he really. I don't know. He likes the whole just little hair bit right there. I think it looks ridiculous. Yeah, that, yeah, it looks terrible. I mean, um, yeah, I feel bad whenever I have. Anyways, uh, we're talking but, about but the pictures up there. I met one of my heroes. In the meantime, my my world is awesome. Yeah, no, that I I 
felt kind of the same way when I saw DJ Shadow in uh, Japan back in Yeah, and the show was great because he was like, it wasn't a stadium. Like, I think that ant's head, maybe Henry Rollins, he was like 20 feet away from me during the yeah, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's, it's a great feeling to see someone you really admire their work up close and personal. Uh, yeah. Last year I saw DJ Crush in D.C., uh, and we were like right next to the stage, and of course the massive sound system, and just you feel the sound more than you hear it. But still, he he spun for an hour, and if you're into DJs, he DJ Crush is awesome. Yes, he's very good. Of course, Tom doesn't like him because Tom doesn't like good music. Ooh, oh, Ross, I, what, why do you? Have, why is this always about me and how uncool <laughs> I am? I have so admitted. And oh wait, I, I'm sorry. You do like Henry Allen, so you're. And okay. I have so admitted, and by God, my letter will prove today I am not cool. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm Man. just, I'm just being a jerk. Yes, you are. I know. And that's, God bless you too. That's how I roll. Uh, anyways, uh, we also have a new feature on the side. If you look on the sidebar, we have recent comments, so you can see what other people have been saying about other posts. Because it turns out not all the newest comments are on the newest thing we have up. Right. We just it got a, a guy mind. from Sydney, Australia, who really liked it. I'm actually, um, we really liked the Call Cthulhu into the world scenario. Yeah. And actually, I've been really surprised at how positive the response has been to the actual play sessions. I mean, honestly, the reason we did, I started doing them was because that they were easy to do. I was running games, you know. I was like, and just turn on a recorder. Yeah, oh. exactly. Got a got an omnidirectional mic, and it's like, hey, great, let's just start recording and throw it up there. And people are like, oh, this is great, this is awesome. I was like, all right, say omnidirectional mic again. Omnidirectional. That's awesome. Omnidirectional. That's right. Um, a sound grabber too, Mike. If you really care, I'm sure you don't. He didn't get paid for that endorsement. That was from the heart endorsement. <laughs> All right. Uh, lastly, a uh, bit of new business. We are upgrading to WordPress 2.5. We sh- I'm going to be upgrading before I upload this episode. So you should see a brand. There's so many features I don't even remember. There's like new avatar systems so you can set up a little thing. So you have your little picture and when you post a comment. You will shit your pants. Yeah, there's uh, all kinds of neat stuff. So hopefully it won't break and cripple the site and it'll just be peachy. So. Anyways, um, so why don't we start talking about the actual topic? You know, the thing we mentioned you know, an hour ago. Well, five minutes ago, but six minutes ago, something like that. Time's like t- <laughs> Time We're, keeps on ticking, ticking. Into yeah, the uh, making everything old and new again. Tom, you came up with the idea for this episode. Yeah. So, uh, well, of course, I think we were all sitting around fishing for ideas after watching the Beowulf riff tracks. And, oh, God. And I was, yeah, it. that's another story. Trust yeah. me, but... Uh, and just f- sitting around thinking of things that are important to me about gaming, and it reminds me that I've been in many situations running games and playing in games where the, most of the players sitting around the table were so intimately familiar with everything about that game, from the stats of all the enemies to the adventures they list to how to how to work all the rules so they can create characters that cannot be killed by mortal weapons alone. And that can be a problem, especially when you're, especially when you have people that aren't familiar as familiar with it. Right. Um, yeah. The the classic example being obviously the player who has the source book uh, that you're running the adventure from. So he's already read the adventure and says, uh, "Okay, let's go to the cathedral, ring the bell, get the the hidden key in the alcove, uh, and then uh, run down to the cellar, open, unlock the door, and uh, you know, say uh, abracadabra three times. We win. All right. And you're saying I. Didn't even mention there was a cathedral yet, but okay. Yeah. Well, like, why don't you just go roll some dice? I'm going to go in the bathroom and cry. <laughs> Has that happened to you, Tom? Is that... I 
Just, no, just giving up screaming, just roll the dice and, you know, doing that, no. But going into the bathroom and crying afterward, that has happened before. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, the question is, how do you keep the everything old new again? How do you keep it uh, fresh when you don't want to switch systems? I mean, it's not like there aren't a plethora of new games out there. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over. Like Monsters and Other Childish Things, which Thank is coming you. out soon. Yes, that Ross wrote for. Let no one forget that. <laughs> Anyways, um... But I mean, you know, once you picked a system, once you picked, you know, everything, how do you, uh, you know, another example would be, you know, the Zeppelin adventure. I know we've mentioned it before, but I knew what a star vampire Actually, was. And every, I think everyone in the game did. Well, did you? Yeah, I knew okay. it was a star vampire. I okay. mean, I'm not as familiar, but I, well, I do usually when I'm bored in a game, pick up a book. And when sometimes right. when you're running Call of Cthulhu, when I get bored, has happened before, I'll reach for the nearest book near me, which often happens to be the source book of the game we're doing right now. Right. And I, you know, the, and the monster section is what most interests me. Right. So um, the first thing is obviously uh, for players is don't be a dick about it. Don't show off your knowledge. Try and maintain. At yeah. no, the very character. least, don't the moment you're like, oh god, are you actually throwing a star vampire? It's that. Oh great. Ooh, let's get fight the blood drinking star thing. Yeah. I okay. mean. Let's start carving elder signs on our skin. Blah blah blah. Form a perimeter. Well, let, let's be honest, Ross. If you start yep. Call of Cthulhu, you've done that in, to begin with. <laughs> Assuming you know how to make an elder sign, that's the problem. <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, most investigators actually, because to you know, start, because yeah, to after start. the first session, they know everything. <laughs> True, because they've read all the diaries of the previous dead characters, which have all the spells and all the knowledge and all. Which you know, strikes me as if they read the the journals of all the doomed characters, why don't more investigators just say, "Fuck this shit" and go take go open a garage in Sandusky, Ohio, or something? Yeah. Um... That's a good question because player because the character player running him is uh, is it, a jerk like that. Yeah, he is like he has yeah. no respect for make believe characters or their make believe wives and families and <laughs> dogs, and soon to be widows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, the first thing is the players obviously you have some you know like we said be polite about it and in fact it it's kind of interesting to be playing in an adventure where you know what's happening and then to try the challenge to you is to maintain your uh character stay in character you know like, yeah i know what's happening but my character doesn't know what's happening so i'm gonna do the thing that's gonna be the most you know uh, especially in call of cthulhu in certain scenarios where you know you know what's gonna be in badly but you're gonna do it anyway because you want to see what happens so right. more the often just see like can i go an entire gaming session without using the knowledge i have inside my head and often it becomes a test of fortitude and willpower to just sit there, not using your metagame knowledge, just right. And find actually, and you're actually proud of yourself at the end when you pull it off. That's true. That's true. That I just like I did not use the in, use the knowledge I have in my head. I did not metagame, and I got through the damn game. Now I'm going to go in the bathroom and cry. <laughs> is, is this a this is going to be a reoccurring thing, isn't it? For this session, I, okay. I dare I dare not go further into next into other episodes because, dude, that's just crap. So, basically, you know, just try and enjoy the ride, even if you know the ending. I mean, people watch this movies they uh, the same movie over and over again, you know, uh, in order to get. You know, you watch Terminator 2 how many times? Uh, at the theater alone, 28. Yeah, so after the first time, you knew what was going to happen, but you still had a good time. 
uh, because it's, it's, of... It's one of those movies that touched me here. Right. So an RPG can be the same thing. You know how it's going to uh, wind up, but enjoying the ride with a different character or approaching it differently is uh, interesting because yeah. there's so many variables in a game that uh, even the same scenario can turn out radically differently depending on uh, who's playing and what they do. Well, I mean, yeah, but of course... You know, never mind the same you know advent published adventures, but often just a player that has intimate knowledge of the system alone can cause problems too. Well, yeah, I th- and again, you don't want to, you know, unless your entire group is into the whole rules lawyering, tactical resource management, mm-hmm. combat. Well, and I only did that. One, I only did that one time. Well, yeah, for the and, epic uh, game. For what? Well, you mean for the epic game? No, actually, I was thinking. Um, I forget which game it was, but it's one of the classes in the old uh, Masters of the Wild 3.0. Oh, the Shifter. Yeah, the Shifter class, which basically... I thought that's what you did for the Epic. No. Okay. Anyways. No, the Epic game, I did that Cobalt Sorcerer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Anyway. No, but uh, that, yeah, the Shifter classes can basically, the old one, can become any creature that you have enough hit, that has you have equal hit dice to, of basically anything from undead to outsiders to anything. And it's the ultimate... You know, fuck you to whatever you're fighting, because whatever you're fighting, if you know enough about the monster manual, just become the creature that can most counter it. Right. Like you threw a uh, huge stone golem at us at one point, and right. I just became a delver. Okay. And you know, spit acid. Spit acid and liquefied it. Oh wait, no, that that's what delver does, doesn't? It? Or no, I'm thinking it secretes. Something. It secretes the. Oh, okay. Uh, Anyways, stuff that, you know, um, corrodes earth. So yeah, uh, again, you just. And there can be a, you can have fun doing that, but just make sure everyone uh, is on board for that. Uh, but the main thing, obviously, to keep everything new, uh, uh, everything old new, is the challenge of the GM. Obviously, yeah, like um, so many things. So the thing is, the way I see it, um, the GM has to figure out what the players, what the audience really want, really wants, and to deliver that. And I've said this before, but I, I think it bears. Repeating, like last night, you know, I beat Gears of War because uh, I just got a 360, yeah. and uh, it, and he he beat it with as much excitement as he's telling right now. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a fun game, but I mean, it, to me, honestly, the mini games and the gimmicks in some of the sections were. But I mean, that this is sort of a tangent. Um, when I read the manual, the manual, you know, didn't. Uh, the head developer said, "Oh, we wanted to make a game that had uh, made you feel like you were you were in a real firefight." And to that end, we had this cover system where you can duck behind cover, roll around, go from you know hiding spot to hiding spot, shoot around corners, things like that, to make it feel more like you know not the circle strafing, rocket jumping, quake model of uh, first person shooters. And so. You know that's what video games, what for shooters, you know, really focus on is you know those technical elements that's what the genre is really about you don't go to it for stories because the people who play the games don't really care about stories they just want something that seems that's kind of shiny and explodey but they really want the features you know the gameplay and the graphics and the sound so um anyways you know like to go another even more convoluted example you know look at medieval art you know the the subject matter was pretty much set it was religion, religion and the yeah. aristocracy. You know, you paint, but it was how you painted. You know, Leonardo da Vinci, not a medieval painter, but you know, Renaissance. Uh, the Mona Lisa is famous in part because of how he captured the technical details, the atmospheric distortion of the background. Uh, you know how the it gets hazy on a certain, you know, because of the air and everything else. Um, 
so it's the technical things. That's what they were interested in. Not so much. I mean, they were interested in the subject matter, but not that wasn't the main thing. And in first, you know, so in role playing games, you have to think: what is the main thing that players are interested in? What are you interested in? Like, do, do is it the that, subject matter? Is it the the adventure that you've been doing again? You know, the same type of adventure. Like, do you have a bunch of combat monkeys? Do you have a bunch of role playing monkeys? Right. Well, what, what kind of monkeys do you have in your group? Is <laughs> right. So what you want to do is. Um, set it up so that you can create new and different things from that technical level just ignoring for a, for a while the overall subject the story the narrative and focusing on these challenges these conflicts and what you know what they are how they fl- you know defeat them and things like that yeah i think mutants and masterminds still one of my favorite examples that it's really there's really no way to create a character that can stop any threat yeah, you have to, uh, you know, niche protection. Every you have to be part of a team. You know, like yeah. the old D and D models, you had to have a fighter, you know, to fight the things, a wizard to block or a wizard to blow stuff up, a cleric to heal, and a thief to find and, traps and, and tanks. Right. Well, fighters. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and of course, this model has been carried over to MMORPGs. You know, the same tanking, buffing, healing. Although with prestige classes, a lot of that line often starts to blur in D and D now. Right. And well, fourth ed will have sort of the same thing. Uh, the the class roles are more clearly defined, is what the. But I'm running a Mutants and Masterminds game now, and it's great because I have players like they have yet to find a particular niche, but they find that there's none of the villains I throw at them one can take on entirely. I mean, the main thing is don't feel bad because you're running you know the same type of adventure or using an old adventure or material. You can't make everything new at once. You focus on one or two things that are going to be different and the players will remember those things they'll remember the new the unusual or take you know, take a monster in the case and change a couple of things around with it right um i mean that's just one example but if you offer them a new type of experience using the same kind of material i think the players will be really rewarded for example you know in combat like um the old D model especially in d20 uh was the we you know you get out of grid I march up to you, you march up to me, we trade uh, attacks with each other until one of us runs out of hit points. That kind of, you know, yeah. sucks. But then we played Iron Heroes, where it was the same, it was sort of a Conan thing and no magic, but what they emphasized was uh, cinematic combats through stunting, through making the battlefield interactive. And that's, that's most of the players I play with, They uh, like the ones they don't want any of the, oh yeah, you attack for this much damage. They... They want as little of that as possible. They want to know, like, okay, I'm going to go, my sword's going to go down right to his arm, and I'm going to try to sever his arm. Right. And it's that, more that, narrative. That's what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, I mean, it's a similar type of fantasy, um, more sword and sorcery, which is sort of the Conan Robert E. Howard model rather than the uh, the D&D model. There are slight differences, but they're very similar. But it, through focusing on these combat, through these technical measures, that the game offered a substantially different game. Mm. Uh, the, I ran a four-month campaign in Iron Heroes, and everyone loved it. And all it was is you're in a kingdom, you find a new kingdom, you're sent out to explore it. Go do whatever you want. It was basically you know open-end, sandbox-type game. And they were just traveling on the road to get to the main capital city, and they got involved in all this stuff, and they had all these fights, and they I let them do whatever they wanted. I mean, I had consequences. You know, If they attacked superior enemy, they would get their butts kicked. Um, but they had the freedom to do what they wanted, and that was enough, even though it was still sort of hack-and-slash fantasy 
D and D D twenty type stuff. So that's what you should look for. I think is you know only focus on trying to innovate in one or two areas and do that really well. If you try to make everything new at once, it can really fall apart. I mean, yeah, some some sameness is good. As well, familiar. I think familiar. Right. You have to think of the, the ramifications of trying to change things up too much. For example, if you try and change a published adventure up, you have to be careful not to turn it into basically mush. If you change the motives and the, you know everything in those adventures are pre-planned, it's pre-written, and the author usually has a good idea of where to put things and for what yeah, well, reason. Actually, well, most adventures do encourage you to change things as you see fit. Right. But they're play-tested, which yeah. means other groups have gone through them and sort of you know, uh, given them a shakedown to make sure that they're playable. And so if you change things just for no reason, just for the sake of changing them, then you could say, oh, wait, I didn't give you the plot item that you needed to you know, complete this yeah. scenario. And, well, then, and, of course, you always run the risk of just having the one asshole player that's done this and say, wait a minute. You, like, it's like... Why? Wait, wait, wait. Why didn't we go here? Or why isn't there, wasn't this enemy? I said abracadabra three times. Why isn't the ghost, you know, banished? You know, exa- yeah, something like that. But you know, if you're playing with jerks like that, they're just well. It's probably best just to you know f- figure that out right away that they are jerks. And yeah. So, uh, you know, keep in mind that you don't you, you don't want to change everything you know uh, at once. Fog- figure out what you want to change and why, and figure out what the ramifications are. Um, you know, another thing is if you change everything, you you create. Well, you've basically just done something. De- another thing, all your uh, entire yeah, game. and you know, players like me. I don't know about you, Tom, but my personal. I love new games. I love reading about new games. But my biggest hesitation in running them is, especially for games that have very exotic settings, you know, backgrounds, uh, is that there's just too much information for me to really understand it. Uh, you know, like in, I've got this uh, game used tribe eight and it was made in the late nineties and it's a darling of RPG.net. A lot of people have just written, Oh my God, it's a great game. And I just, I've just tried to read the book and it's just, everything's new. It's just fan, you know, post-apocalyptic fantasy. And it's just, there's just too much material to really get into. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I have I have several systems in my at my place that are the same way. Just everything so everything so you know innovative, and you've never seen this before. That you've never seen this before. Yeah. And I'm wondering how to do it. I mean, another th- you know, example like Exalted. I mean, Exalted is another darling of RPG. I, I tried to run a game with that one time. Yeah, and there's, I was, I there's was, a charm system. There's a new uh, entirely new setting. There's all these different, you know, it's, and there and there's a power. And there's like six hundred million different powers. You right. You have to worry about. So it takes a long time to invest in order to really understand the game. I mean, you have to read the book to you know learn the backstory. You have to read the rules, and and that's almost a game that players need some familiarity with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I ran it like they didn't know anything about it, and it struggled because of that. If I and, I and I'm not you know saying it's a bad game or no, anything. I'm not. I don't know. I, I think. It, if I'd love to be in a successful game of that, it, it's a cool idea, a cool setting. Yeah, but it just it takes a lot of pre preparation to make it. And work. I just don't want to invest that much time in a game that I don't know my players are really going to like. You know, Iron Heroes. There's basically no setting, so except generic D and D world, sort of. So I could throw them at anything. So players, once the players figured out the rules, they're like, "All right, we'll just do this." And uh, they liked it. You know, Call Cthulhu. It's the modern day world, but with monsters. Or in the 1920s world, with yeah. monsters. Yeah, so that's pretty easy to get into. Um, 
and you just don't have unlimited time to tr- experiment and try new things. So um, that's sort of the downside of trying to make everything too new, too different, is that, you know, it's just a lot of wasted time and effort with no real fun out of it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's up to you. We can't figure this out for you. You just have to figure out it for yourself what really works and what doesn't work. Um, with your individual groups, you have to... But I do recommend that you keep trying new things. You know, one or two, like I said, I think the the key thing is to focus on like one to three elements that are really new or different in your game each session. You know, like, for example, the Call of Cthulhu scenario I ran, The End of the World, the difference was it was the same sort of apocalyptic scenario but, that we've all been into. But we weren't the we weren't the heroic adventurers. We right. were this. We were the authorities. Right. You were the guys in control. So that was a, that was putting, a, a, you know, all really different twist on it. And plus there were NPC adventurers who are generic, you know, uh, cliche. We were very, of, who I was very quick to trust. I yeah. Admit. Which was a little out of character, but, um, metagaming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of annoying, but still that, that was a, a fun scenario and the players really dug it and it's gotten really comment. And that's just by changing one real big element. Everything else was pretty much by uh, the numbers, Cthulhu Apocalypse. I mean, and I, I do admit, if I was to play a real authority figure in a serious disaster like that, I would have banished them from my site. And yeah, I, I think probably what I would have done next time is make it sound like a natural disaster at first. You know, like a tornado yeah, or an you, earthquake. You, you kind of drop the supernatural really quick. Yeah, of course. You know, nothing's perfect, but I think we all still had fun. And plus, everyone knew it was a Call of Cthulhu adventure. So again, medicating on my part. Yeah. So and. uh People like it, like when we do that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, just to sort of summarize, our, like, uh, let me just give us some suggestions on what you can change, like some different elements. Again, one would be what we just talked about, putting the PCs in a different role. Like, instead of making them the the standard role for a PC is sort of the... The, the lone wolf adventure or the, right. or the, the, close, the close-knit team. Right. The A-team or the lone wolf, basically, um, where there are these young, highly skilled professionals with no roots uh, that young, are highly mobile, Young yet grizzled. Right. That uh, can f- take on all kinds of these problems. So put them in a different position. Make them either very weak, you know, like a peasant. Give them lots of connections. Say, like, uh, everyone has their family in a certain place, you know, and they have a day job or make them, you know, the authority figures. Um, that's okay. That's, so that's one suggestion. Yeah. One of course, obviously is the setting, right? The setting change, uh, something about the setting that is, uh, different, you know, for example, call Cthulhu, but put it on a sci-fi setting such as, you know, a Mars colony, ghosts of Mars kind of shit, right? Something like that. There actually are a couple of, uh, call Cthulhu in time scenarios set in sci-fi, World. Yeah. So, or, so, or go way back, like ancient Rome or something. Right. Again, uh, there is some published material, but it's very rare, and it's certainly not what people think of. Or say a D and D game, but like in Victorian England, which uh, there was a AD and D scenario, like uh, some of the Ravenloft material, Mask yeah. of the Red Death, um, or even a modern day D and D. You know, there's X Crawl, which is a, a different setting. You know, making it like a professional sport, dungeon crawling. And um, so that's 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 good. That's a setting. Um, NPCs change something about the NPCs that make them different. For example, make the antagonist unkillable in some way so that he cannot be defeated through sheer violence. I.e., make him a political rival that the players 
if he dies, his followers, his party wins somehow, you know, or he's immortal or unkillable, or he's, uh, you know, one of the PC's allies in a sense, you know, um, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Yeah. So, or if he dies, one of the players dies at the same time. Right. You know, and you don't, you, you don't know which one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, or you don't know who your enemy. Well, of course that's sort of a standard thing is the mystery, but, um, those are, you know, just a few suggestions. Another thing is to change, focus on the type of challenges your players love and make it really different. For example, you know, Iron Heroes, they focus on making combat different by making the battlefield part of it. So instead of just, you know, Grid a, map. Yeah, instead of just a dungeon crawl, you know, this underground base, there are chandeliers overhead that you can swing from. Uh, there are these uh, drapes you can set on fire and, you know, have cut the the holding so they fall on enemies um there are pits of acid you can knock enemies the into. the tavern has a bunch of liquor booze and ale that's highly flammable right uh, movable things put it on a, a stagecoach or something like that so that the players have to deal with uh, a, a chase a, or ship in a storm or something right right um things like that um or you know social things uh, make it more you know depending on what your players want like if uh, the players are really into relationships, you know, like everyone's connected to someone else through rivalry, friendships, romance, something like that. Uh, have one of them go into amnesia or have one of their identities change. Flip the relationships. They say the difference between a drama and a melodrama is that in both there's a victim, a hero, and an antagonist. Now, in a melodrama, those roles stay the same. The, the, the hero stays the hero, the victim stays the victim, the antagonist stays the antagonist. In a drama, the roles change. So the hero becomes a victim, or the hero becomes the antagonist. The victim becomes the hero, or the victim becomes... You know, there's this yeah. shifting of roles. So think about that. Try, you know, make your... Change your game from a melodrama to a drama. Make the villain the hero. Make him save the world, you know, when the PCs are really the, the ones who are going to destroy everything. So, anyways, these are just a few ideas. And, again, just focus on one or two at a time so the players, you know, the players are really going to focus on one or two of these things at a time. They're not going to remember everything you do. That's awesome. So They all have ADD anyway. Yeah, players have very selective memories. I mean, I don't know how many times in a game where I do something I think is cool, the player's like, yeah, whatever. And then something I kind of half-ass do, players go, oh, that rocks. Like... Uh, in the rain game, uh, fantasy, um, there I did this speech from this elven queen talking about how the world is going to end, how the elves are, the undead elves are going to fuck everyone's shit up if they anyone messes with their tomb. You remember that? Right? I remember. I was in it, and everyone's like, "Oh man, you really role played that well." And all I was doing is like, "You, you guys, you, you are shall perish." Yeah, the end, the universe shall be torn asunder. I was just doing a you know basic thing, and they loved that. And I was like, "All right, that's cool," and. Well, some of the things I thought that they would think that were cool, they just ignored. So, like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, those are so the that this is uh, hopefully enough to give get you started on changing things up, keeping things old things new again. So, uh, do you have any other words you want to say about it, Tom? Yeah, I think that that just about covers it. I mean, obviously, that's really it's up to the players and GMs themselves to you know figure out what needs to be done. Right. But again, now that we have our brand new email address, uh, feel free to send us any questions or comments. If you have a problem with your campaign, we'd... Uh, or, if you had, or if you had brilliant solutions to problems like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, any stories on the We are, like, unlike a lot of people, we are interested in how awesome you are. <laughs> 
Now that's kind of an implied insult to the other podcasts out there, Tom. I don't know about I don't know about that, Ross, but if you insist on saying it that way, <laughs> you I'll go along with it. Okay. Anyways, we have a promo from another gaming podcast, and then uh, when we're back, we will have a letter from Thomas. Indeed. Do you find yourself wondering how to keep it all straight with all those great RPG podcasts out there on the internet? Like a flaming, dancing, vorpal, plus five, holy avenger of awesome. Check out RPGpodcast.com. We all have gaming experiences that we would like to dig into our skulls with a Black & Decker power drill and remove with all the restraint of Rosie O'Donnell at feeding time. I'm talking about the time when the young couple playing Thargor the Blackguard and Tinkersnoodle the Pixie Barbarian bought a copy of the Kama Sutra the night before and were trying out some of the foreplay activities during the game. Or when the GM bought the anniversary edition of Scarface and for the next five hours of gameplay your superhero team was taking on an invincible Cuban drug lord with an assault rifle grenade launcher combo that could knock the Starship Enterprise out of orbit. Well, I have my own. The gaming experience I want to scrape out of my brain with a melon baller is online games. Not online video games, don't get me wrong. Most of those are fun as hell. No, I am talking about internet RPGs run via email or instant messaging. I only have one under my belt, but that one is sufficient to last me a lifetime. It took place back in 1994, and I was an eager 14-year-old looking for some RPG action because I was God's gift to gamers. The one I happened to find was based off the old SWAT Cats cartoon. I was young, stupid, and a huge fan of the show, so of course I dove in like the riddling junkie that I was. I based my character off the Christopher Walken drug lord from King of New York. While all the other giggling children in-game were flying their jet fighters or using their evil supervillain powers to take over and or destroy Mega Cat City, I slowly built a drug empire, making sure to pull off every cool scene Walken did in the movie, including my own personal favorite of having a conversation with other underworld types while using a .45 pistol as an emphasis maker. It was a lot of fun up until the game stopped after two months because the moderator's attention span finally reached its limit and veered off to places in anime unknown. It remained in my head for a couple of years as a great experience until my brain matured ever so slightly, and I realized how unbelievably lame the whole thing had been. That very night I rushed home, brushed my teeth like I had swallowed the SWAT cat's ejaculate, and listened to Slayer for three hours straight to try to ease the nerd from my soul. Too late, I came to the conclusion that it was impossible. Why? Because I am a nerd, and I still have a soft spot in my heart for that goddamn cartoon. Why do I have so much bile for online games? Quite simply, it's because they can still lure me in. As bad as it was in that game of long ago, I still got compliments from the other players. The two guys running the actual SWAT cats commended me on playing a villain that wasn't trying to take over the city with ridiculous super science shit. It made me feel so superior to the rest of the unwashed peasants who traipsed through the game like trying to find glory and kudos like a pig sniffing along looking for truffles. Yes, I was the best out of all of them, much like being valedictorian in summer school. And worst of all, online games still have the power to suck me in. Since the horrible SWAT Cat summer of 1994, no fewer than five other online games have sung their siren song and I have followed along like a retarded puppy. Thankfully, none of the games ever happened and I was spared. And after each lucky break, I would lock myself in my room and flagellate myself in rage as I punished my body for sinning so badly. And just so you know how powerful the singularity-like pull of online games is to me, the last one I almost joined was based off the Land Before Time series. By admitting that, I know that any chance of scoring with a hot chick just became as likely as George W. Bush getting hit with a beam of cosmic energy from space and receiving the power to spew freedom dust from his Kevlar-laced fairy wings. Sorry, lost my train of thought there. In summation, to all of those who are now judging me, I say this. 
At least I have the balls to admit it. I'd like to see you admit to the world how often you whacked off to the land before time. Pick your own favorite character. I have my own. Ah, oh, welcome, welcome. Come on in, please, please. Have a seat, warm yourself by the fire, and listen to the friendly minstrel song. What? You've come seeking the tome? Well, you are in luck. I am the keeper of the tome. And what would you do with this mighty podcast? Oh, good, good. You have the right idea. You see, the tome is a source for expanding your understanding of Dungeons & Dragons and what various books have to offer. The tome's knowledge is endless when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons. So sit, listen and to become a sage of great renown. The Tome is a Dungeons & Dragons review podcast focused on official content. You can find The Tome at http colon slash slash thetome.podbean.com or search for The Tome on iTunes. And we're back. That was a very interesting uh, uh, letter there, Tom. You feel all right? Can I get you anything? You you feel you're yeah you're, interesting that this strikes me as the kind of interesting that has quotation marks around it. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure it'll get a good response from our viewer listeners. Well, well so. that's that's the whole idea. I, I need <laughs> attention, so and I'm willing to admit embarrassing things about myself to do it. Well, it's the age of the internet. I think everyone does. So and it's 14 years ago. So I'm okay. I'm sure that maybe you could think of think more of me since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, anyways, uh, of course, now we have our shout outs. Uh, first off, I'd like to give one to VikingFighting.com because it's a Viking martial art school in Scandinavia uh, where they have tactical Warhammer classes. And the their Grandmaster Groudly, grand, uh, uh, proudly uh, announces that he teaches dirty fighting and teaming up on people with your friends to beat the crap out of them and uh it's about cheating and low fighting and uh, uh getting a bunch of your friends to beat the crap out yeah. of people it's i i really can't comment what more can i what more needs to be said about it? it it defies it's just it's viking fighting i mean one cannot be told what viking fighting is yeah you'll have to see it for yourself so um it made us gave me a smile on my face so, so. go clicky clicky on the uh, link to it anyways uh next one is a webcomic one that i found recently called the abominable charles christopher it's a just a really great little webcomic about a yeti who wanders around a forest and all the animals there are sort of, they talk, but they still look like animals. The art is beautiful. I mean, the, the sunsets, the landscape, the animals just look totally realistic. I mean, it's like a, you know, Audubon society artwork. I mean, it's uh, professional artwork, uh, brilliant uh, characterization. I mean, he just does one pan- one little strip a week, but it's and it's only been going on for like I think a year now, so there's not too much to catch up on. But it's just so worth reading. Just put it in your RSS feed and subscribe to it. I cannot recommend this enough. This is one of the better web comics I've seen on the internet and ever. 
One so. of those things that makes Ross smile. Yeah, it's it's funny and it's it's just great. I mean, it, it really shows the, each of these animals is just like a little character. I mean, in a few panels, he really characterizes them. And there's great humor. There's good storytelling. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with this comic. I mean, you can't really point to any significant flaws in it. So I think that's one of the strongest compliments give any you know yeah. comic is that there's nothing really wrong with it. I mean, it's it's just great. So, okay. Anyways, uh, those are my shout-outs. How about you, Tom? I got one, actually, that's a request. Speaking of flaws. Yes. I actually have a request from the very person who shares the Henry Rollins picture with me. Oh, Aaron. Yep, Aaron. Aaron C., we'll call him. <laughs> okay. I've, I forgot his last name, so that's, I can't that's even fine, spoil so. it for you. So. But anyway, Aaron requested on numerous occasions before that I mention in our shout-outs the webcomic Sluggy Freelance. Ooh, that takes me back. It does. And he, of course, is one of the uh, actual paying official members. I think it's the followers of the Nifty or something. There's a paying membership now? Well, it's like a, a one-time payment. One-time to, payment. To, uh, like for a, it's like the premium shit. I don't know exactly what it is. I didn't ask too many questions. Okay. And he has one of the books... You know the uh, tomes, you know the right. me- mega tomes, and I've read I've read through it. Yeah, some of them are kind of funny. I like a couple of the characters. And wow, a couple uh-huh. of the storylines are somewhat. You don't have to apologize. Just be honest with you. I am being honest. Okay. And uh, but he he requested that you know please just you know mention. Actually, he wanted to come in and mention. I said I'll, I'll you know we'll think about that. But. <laughs> He's not worthy to but talk on the microphone. So. Um, Anyway, that's I said, okay, so here I am shouting out to Sluggy Freelance for him. Do you have anything to say about it, Ross? Yes, I do. I'm glad you asked about that, Tom. It's uh, Sluggy Freelance is a very bad comic. I used to read it myself back around 1999, 2000. And uh, let's see here. It had a... a uh, little bunny that bun bun that was totally unstoppable. A Mary Sue character, which mm-hmm. we mentioned before. Uh, the care there, I forgot. There's like a Torg and a Riff and two chicks. I forgot their names. Zoe and something. Yeah, else. Zoe and the one guy, the blonde headed guy is like, I, oh, I want to be with her, but I can't. And an alien. Yeah, and nine years later, or however many years, like eight years later, they still haven't gotten together. The storyline really hasn't changed that much. The characters are incredibly static, two dimensional. Uh, the art hasn't improved in eight years. I mean, that's really, I mean, think about it. eight years of co- drawing this comic on average once every day or a few days, and the artwork really hasn't improved. The storyline is unbelievably convoluted. I mean, in order to understand what's going on, you'd have to read all, you know, eight, ten years of backstory to really get it. Uh, the storylines themselves are stupid, you know, talking about how Santa Claus is trying to take over the world and the gnomes are trying to get Bun Bun and there's this alien crap and there's just vampires. I mean, there's just so much stupid crap in it. It's just not fun to read anymore. I mean, it hasn't been fun to read since like 2000, 2001. And uh, he doesn't care about improving the art. He just has this incredibly devoted fan base that will buy anything he does. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's not viciously bad. Like control alt delete control alt delete is horribly viciously, viciously bad because um, 
they overexplain each joke in it, and it's just it's like the Garfield of gaming web comics. It's it's like Garfield is even better than Control Alt Delete. <laughs> Tastes like Mondays. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Sluggy Freelance is like the Mary Worth of web comics because it's got backstories with just and it's melodrama with no real humor, and it's just stale it's static it's not improving it's not getting any better and there's so much i mean back in 2000 when there weren't any good web comics or very few web comics you know you had like penny arcade or uh uh, user friendly and sluggy and that was it then yeah i could see that but come on we've got better web comics now like abominable charles christopher we have minus we have gunner green court we have so many dr mcninja there's so many good ones akewood Ross, Akewood. Ross, you're, you're kind of starting to foam at the mouth here. Perry Bible Fellowship. I mean, am I am I alone in here? I mean, there's good comics now. There are good, legitimately good comics. Okay, Ross. Jesus. Are we, are we okay? It's just why it's just so. Me- it's not even you know bad. It's just mediocre. It's just blase. Well, I. I did his too fav- many words too. Look, if you look at an average comic, there are too many words on each page, on each strip. It's like word bubble taking up two thirds of the goddamn panel. I mean, come on, it's a comic. It's not a novel. Say less, Ross. Draw more, Ross. Draw better, Ross. Yes, Sweeney. <laughs> Pixie dust. Pixie dust. God. All right. Anyway, so I got it Aaron, my system. Aaron, there you go. If you're a sluggy freelance fan, that's fine. There's no accounting for taste. I'm not insulting you, or you know, I just it's just not a good comic. It's just by this any standards you 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 can objectively measure art or sequential art comics. It just doesn't really measure up. It's so. not. It's not the UE bowl of comics. Uva bowl. Oh, is it Uva? Yeah. Whatever, I like Yui better, but whatever. <laughs> Movable. No, that again, that would be Control-Alt-Delete. So, okay. Fuck Control-Alt-Delete. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah, and then we have uh, one last thing, uh, anecdote uh, from Ethan uh, Daw. Ah, Ethan Daw. Yeah. Anyways, um, Ethan, uh, of course, wants to talk to uh, one of our longtime fans, uh, talking about his current campaign, a D&D 3.5 game. Um, said he met him, met him up through meetup.com and he was using some of the advice uh, about ad libbing that we talked about earlier. Ah. So uh, this is sort of his sort of recollections of his ad libbing a game. Um, they started off with third level characters and uh, he basically ad libbed the first, he's been ad libbing most of this the way. Like the first session, he included a piece of magical parchment and ink in a treasure because he had nothing else ready and it sounded neat. It, yeah, that yeah. sounds neat. So after he finished the adventure, he had to come up with some reason for it. So uh, what he did is the Church of Palor often used a means of sending secret messages by using this type of parchment ink and a secret process to encode and decode letters. Oh, a plot yeah. hook, you say. Um, this parchment turned out to be a letter and a map from the high priest of the ruined temple. They just explored who left it as the last confession of a past wrong he did, leaving uh, his friends to die on an adventure in the mountains far to the north. He begged for someone to seek it out and lay them to rest. Okay? Uh, but then he also laid out five other adventure hooks. Now, this is a good advice. I mean, that's very good. That's what I usually do in a and d mm. game is I throw out, you know, three or five or however many adventure hooks and see what you guys really bite at. Um that way, because I don't railroad you, you get to choose what you want to do, but then I have some idea, you know, there's, 
if I give you what you know, three to five choices, that's to enough. go after the orc tribes. Turn to page twenty-three. <laughs> to go after the null tribes. Turn to page forty-eight. If you're a jerk and a coward, keep your uh, page on the thumbs and then just look at see what happens. Indeed. <laughs> so uh, choose your own adventure books. Yes. Uh, I saw a good website with a flowchart showing all the different choices you can make in one of them. It's pretty neat. Oh my god. Yeah. Very nerdy. Wow. <laughs> Just <laughs> wow. Well, anyways, um, Ethan decided they wanted to follow the map, but also decided to check out another hook on the way. The adventure took them to a wizard's tower where a battle, where they battled a wizard who I decided was going to escape and be a reoccurring villain. Uh, I structured this plan for a specific goal, and it went fine. He escaped, and it seemed reasonable. In the meantime, they are asked by a rescued hostage of the wizard to escort her to the capital city of the nearby state, whereas she was on this diplomatic uh, mission to see the Duke there. They make the trip. After stopping back at their base city, uh, encountering some backstory skullduggery involving the Baron being assassinated along the way, some suspicion points uh, to their traveling companion, but it's very, very vague. Once they see here safely, they're going up the mountain as planned. Nope. They want to meet the Duke. Uh, they decide that they are going to the mountains, or that's what he thinks. But Ethan says, oh, no, they want to meet the Duke now. All right. The NC NPC tries to put them off, but they are insistent. Now I'm really an ad lib land because he had not planned to have them meet the Duke. Ah. Um, I had planned on the Duke being assassinated too, and this being the backdrop for something going on. Since the PCs are so insistent, I let the story roll. So they're in the action uh, result. Uh, so the end result is the Duke not get killed. So they. Um, he's not really clear if whether the PCs saved the Duke or he just decided not to have him assassinated at all. Um, but either way, it, it shows you have to go with the flow. The PCs yeah. say, I want to go meet that goddamn Duke. And then, all right, well, you'll meet the Duke. And uh, he has a real name that I can make up. Indeed. Duke Bob. Duke Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It had to be said. Um, I also decided that they are going to run into the wizard again in the capital city, as he could have arrived there quicker due to routes and carts and time, blah, 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 blah. I figure up a reason for him to come there and uh, also want the PCs to keep having this guy crop up. Ah, reoccurring villain. This is dangerous route. Um, they were bummed that he got away the first time, so they, when they see him in the streets and follow him, I figure we'll have another fight and they'll be left really wanting him dead. Not only do I roll a one on his initiative, but they'll get they get the drop on him so bad with tanglefoot bags and teamwork that even though I could have flubbed it, I decided that he had to die. They had him. And having him get away would have been stretching believability too much. I tried my best to get him out of it, but it wasn't going to happen. Um, one great thing for ad-libbing is a list of good names for NPCs. If you don't have a character sheets or stats, name goes, names go a long way. I recommend keeping good records. Um, that's true. He also, uh, put, he decided to put up his notes on his website. So if you're interested in Ethan's campaign, uh, you can check out the link that we'll have up on this post. But yeah, a list of names is, goes a long ways. Like typically before, like when everybody's sitting down, getting ready to start a game, I just take a notebook out and write a couple of names out. And I don't know, like, especially for fantasy games where you can't come up with the names. You know, modern day games, you just say, uh, you know. Uh, Robert Johnson. Yeah, give me, give me a phone book. Uh, Sylvia Plath. That's but not Seth taken. But Seth Soulsunder Nightblood, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Draven Magnum. Um, kill fuck soul shitter. 
Yeah. So you want to have those names ready to go. And he's right. That that really helps. If uh, you could say the peasant who suddenly becomes important or the duke who suddenly becomes important, he's no longer just the duke. He is the duke, you know, Castiglione or whatever. So Newcomb. You just like you're really pushing that joke. You know what, Tom? I think you should go in the bathroom and cry. Well, obviously, but that's after we're done here. Okay. Anyway, so that's uh, episode 12, uh, Everything Old is New Again. So uh, this is Ross Payton. Tom Church here. And uh, we'll see you next time. Or- Laters.